Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to Reply Guys. Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I am Kate Willett. And I'm Julia Clare. Kate, welcome back from Iowa. Nothing to report there. <laughs> this has been such a weird week. I, I think I think I was kind of expecting Bernie to just win outright, but then I knew that they might do something to fuck with him. I mean I like I definitely had that on the radar. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, this, this outcome is not something that I imagined at all in my wildest dreams. Uh, I wish, uh, I mean, the nature of caucuses are so dumb to begin with that I, you know, I, I remember from 2016 how Bernie and Hillary were separated by like two tenths of a point or something like that. Yeah. I think it was like, vote. yeah. Oh my God. I, caucuses are crazy uh and we gotta stop this i it is 11 p.m on tuesday night and as of right now uh the iowa caucuses were yesterday as of right now we are only we've only received 62 percent of uh the precinct reports um from last night's caucuses i don't know why there's so many things that i don't know i don't understand what we're doing i don't i don't get it so i guess there was an app that they built to report the results that didn't work and it just like wasn't really i mean okay so the official story is you know probably that it was not really tested i mean certainly there's some conspiracies going around and you know i i wouldn't uh yeah, you know, I wouldn't totally rule out that there may be malfeasance here. I also would totally not rule out that it is just complete incompetence. Yeah, so that's that's what everybody's been saying is that like if your gross incompetence looks the same as malice, like we equally have no reason to trust you as an institution. Um and I I completely agree with that. So what happened was yeah, as Kate said, uh there was this app called Shadow, which already... That's the just... most on-the-nose thing since Reality Winner had the <laughs> leak about Trump. It's like, this is just super villain shit. Oh, my God. Uh, just, yeah. So this, this app that was, I think it's owned by Acronym, which is this big um, lib firm... Oh, Julia, you did it. You called things lib now. You're, you've been slowly radicalizing yourself to hate the libs. I'm hate just the libs. Uh, <laughs> I'm just we're kidding. We're hating the libs. But, the, okay, so, like, the CEO of Acronym, which is the parent company of Shadow, so her husband is, like, a senior aide for Pete Buttigieg. The issue here... I mean, the optics are terrible for so many reasons. Wait, but first of all, hold on. Can you imagine every day having to come home and fuck a senior aide for Pete Buttigieg? <laughs> Could you respect your husband, truly? No. No, but... Uh, I I mean, yeah. God, I, I, the, uh, gosh, it was. it's been so funny listening to uh, all the different... 
um, the different news outlets that just go into Iowa every four years and talk to the, the voters there. And this one lady was just so in the hole for, for Pete Buttigieg, unironically, in a way that I've never seen before. Obviously, she could not name anything, any policies from his platform, if he has any. Um, but she kept saying <laughs> she was really impressed with him because she heard him on a blog cast. <laughs> I know. I know. We keep like, that's the thing is, is I feel like we get into these debates with people about policies and stuff like that. But as you were saying earlier, people don't vote based on policy. A lot of the time it's totally personality and who it they really think is electable. Is. You know, um, sometimes you hear per- someone on a blog cast and, uh, and you just, you, you got to do it. But it's, yeah, basically, I mean, the caucuses themselves are already, as I said, they're already a mess. But the, one of the issues with the optics here is that Shadow has so much money from different wings of the establishment, including, I, I think I read $42,000 from the Buttigieg campaign and so one of the issues here is that there's, I think there's like 1,700 caucus sites in the state of Iowa, and the precinct captains are just like Iowa volunteers. A lot of them are I older. think could be out-of-state volunteers as well. Yeah, but a lot of them are, you know, a lot of people who run the caucuses from like internal, like at the, at the caucus sites are like older people, but also it's like, this is a brand new app that nobody knew how to use, and there was, like, no training. A lot of people were saying that they only learned about the existence of the app, like, a week before. So what happened was, <laughs> because a lot of these uh, caucus sites are held in, like, middle school gyms in rural Iowa uh, because of either, like, poor Wi-Fi reception, difficulty downloading the app, just user error or just malfunctions with the app, uh, people were not able to report their numbers to the Iowa Democratic Party. And so the backup for that, which is how things usually are, is that they just call in the numbers to the state party line. Unfortunately, (laughs) everyone did that because nobody could use the app, so everyone was calling in, and there were not enough people manning the phones so there were people who were like on on hold for 90 minutes one one of the the precinct captains tried was trying to get uh his numbers in for 3 hours oh my god um just um <laughs> a former uh Iowa Democratic Party chair called it a system-wide disaster <laughs> it's like it really yeah it if any country in like South America had a situation like happen in Iowa, we would have already invaded them and staged a coup. Yeah, absolutely. And their their government. I just, I mean, so the way that the the Iowa caucuses work, and I literally I have to look this up every four years because I always forget because it's so stupid. Uh, I really don't like it. But basically, you go to a caucus site at 7 p.m. on the day of the caucus, 
and you go to the area of your preferred candidate. Well, actually, that's not so that is one part of it. But there's also it's just like the kind of general meeting for the Iowa Democratic Party as well. So there's like a bunch of shit that has nothing to do with electing or with picking a nominee, too. So there's just like also all this bullshit that people have to sit through. Yeah, so basically, I mean, one of the big barriers to entry for caucus participation is just the amount of time that you have to give up. You know, for for a regular primary vote, you're kind of in and out in 10 minutes, and, you know, you can, a a lot of people can maybe do it on their lunch break or or on their way home from work because the poll, uh, hopefully the polls would be open, you know, for like 12 hours or something like that. But this is obviously very prohibitive for shift workers, people with disabilities, people with kids. And that's why caucus states like Iowa and Nevada um, have some of the lowest voter turnout of the primaries. Of, uh, the primaries. And in fact, uh, I was looking at some numbers. Unfortunately, uh, last night, even with, and this really surprised me, that voter turnout was the same last night as it was in 2016 in Iowa. Um, which really is disappointing because I would think that with, with such a big field, people would feel like it was more pressing to go and support a, uh, their chosen candidate. But I don't know, like it was only about 170,000 people participated in the caucuses um, whereas the, the all-time high was for Barack Obama uh, in 2008, or the year that Obama and Hillary were uh, running, and there were 240,000 people who participated then. Um, so just, I mean, I get, I get it. Again, it's such, a, it's such a difficult, but also Iowa has a lifetime ban, and I think, Kate, you, I saw a post that you, that you wrote today or yesterday, um, but if you, even if you've served your time, if you were ever a convicted felon, um, that you have a lifetime ban on voting. Yeah, it really sucks. Um, so I went to Iowa just for a couple days. Uh, it was all I could get off work, but I, I went to Canvas for Bernie, um, on the weekend and then on Monday and like everything that you're saying about the caucuses and participation, like is completely true. And it was very, I think, disheartening sometimes to experience in real life. Like um, there was one woman who had talked to several Bernie volunteers um, because people had been hitting Des Moines really, really hard, especially because that's like the area that is the easiest to fly into. And, um, you know, she was really stoked on Bernie. And then I came on Monday to just do like the kind of like last round of reminding people. And I guess she found out that she wasn't able to caucus because she was a felon. I don't know if she didn't know about that or if she just learned about the rule or thought it was expunged or something. But anyway, it was just, she was really, really sad. She was like, you know, I could just tell that she loved Bernie and also probably was in a situation where she would have really benefited from his policies. This was in like a, a, uh, I think some low income housing. I don't know if it was Mm. government housing or, or what, but you know, she was like crying uh, because she was so disappointed. And it was just like, really, 
I don't know. It's just really fucked up. I just really got the impact of what it means to disenfranchise someone in that way. I think I saw like Ken Klippenstein have a tweet about it. It's like, you know, what do they think is going to happen if we let felons vote that they would all like get together and elect a pro felony candidate? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, you know, when you have like a for-profit mass incarceration state like we do in this country that disproportionately locks up black and brown people like the there's like a direct line between you know it's basically it's it's some of the kind of measures that we saw uh before you know that people so many people were fighting against in the civil rights movement in terms of like um being barred from voting uh but yeah the a full 10% of Iowa's uh black population cannot vote because of this yeah it's and incredibly fucked up it's really disgusting but what i was what i was saying before and i i really could go either i mean i think that it's I think that this was such a grand mishandling that it like it's hard it's hard for it to even get my head around. Again, how we only have 62% of the precincts reporting is beyond me. But when I was listening to this explainer about how the caucuses work, it did make sense to me that like Bernie could have won the initial alignment and then lost the realignment. And also, oh my God, it's just, I I don't know if I want to get too in the weeds talking about that, but it's, it's, and also the way that they allocate delegates is so fucked up because I was seeing some numbers saying that even with the 62% of precincts reporting that Bernie won the popular vote, but got less delegates. Yeah, I mean, and who knows, by the time we air this episode tomorrow morning, it, it could be that Bernie has won uh, the state of, has come in first in the Iowa caucus. I, I don't know. We don't know. So hopefully, if you're listening to this, I mean, I hope this is old news. I hope we do know by tomorrow morning. But yeah, um, but yeah I guess. Um, but all we need to know is that Joe Biden came in fourth. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it definitely did look kind of suspicious that a lot of the areas where they, a lot of the precincts that they haven't reported um, were likely to be more pro-Bernie precincts. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I mean, I don't think you have to go full conspiracy. They like, you know, sabotage this or cheated on purpose to acknowledge that there is probably some uh, construction of media narrative to their benefit. Yeah. And so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, reported this in an order that gave Pete a little bit of a narrative boost and also denied uh, the full narrative blow of Biden losing so badly. Um, I just wanted to return to like one other thing that you said about like, you know, just how disenfranchising caucuses are in general that you have to give up um, so much time. I mean, a lot of white collar jobs are during the day, you know, nine to six hours or whatever. 
Um, and like a lot of people who are lower income, like are working jobs where they're working at night or they're, uh, you know, there's some kind of supplemental job driving Uber. I mean, like the doors I was knocking on at the, on Monday, it was really everyone I talked to, like the task was kind of like, you know, actually getting people to show up for the caucus and, and yeah. some people some people were very enthusiastic and you know we're going to do it but there was also like plenty of justifying like why it would be worth it to somebody to take a night off work there was one door I knocked on and I the guy said he didn't have time to talk to me um and I just handed them the flyer and said you know just a reminder that this is caucus day or whatever and uh yeah, as soon as the door closed, I heard the husband yelling at his wife, caucusing is not going to put food on the table because she like clearly wanted to caucus and yeah. he didn't want to. Um, and, you know, I don't know what their concerns were or whatever, but it, I mean, it's just obviously some kind of situation where, you know, somebody needed to work or whatever. And also there is this thing that I think has been studied with like, you know, men, uh kind of overly controlling the votes of their wives in caucus states, which mm -hmm. is really fucked up. That's one thing that's a lot better about just a straight up primary is it's a private ballot. You can vote for whoever you want. You don't have to like please your more conservative husband. Yeah, that, that's another thing we haven't even touched on is that it's a public vote. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I mean, it's just so there is nothing co coherent about <laughs> caucuses work. Um, and you're just shouting at people in a, in a, a middle school gym. Um, but, and a, and a lot of the time, like, you know, how you were saying that like people don't vote based on policies. Some of the caucuses, the volunteers can bring food and people literally just go to the table where there's food. And that's like a method of enticement is having like good snacks. Like it's so crazy that part of our democracy is like determined by quality of snack. Look, we all know snacks are important, but they cannot uphold our democracy. Yeah, exactly. And it, I don't know. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was just, uh, it, it was really, I don't know. It, it was just, I think, you know, first of all, like it, it was so cool to meet so many Bernie supporters, um, you know, just from a really different part of the country than Brooklyn. Um, but also, you know, you just really also got to see how working class disenfranchisement happens, you know, either oh, through sure. felony convictions or through, um, you know, just people not being able to devote that much time, um, not having a place to put their kid, even if it's like a situation where, you know, some of the caucuses were offering childcare, um, you know, not everyone can just throw their kid in whatever childcare. Some kids have different needs and, you know, so it was just, it was sad, you know, and Bernie's campaign is like, I feel like we hear this stuff about it that like, oh, you know, it's a campaign that is about bringing in new voters or getting mm -hmm. people reengaged in the political process. Um, and that's true. Like, uh, the, you know, the field organizers there um, and all the volunteers that were working with them that I met were just doing some really, really amazing work. But it, it all kind of felt like it could be sort of precarious and it could go either way because like the whole operation is about engaging 
marginalized people mm-hmm. um, who have the problems that marginalized people have. And so it was, you know, just like really, yeah, just really, really like a full scale effort to get people to see hope in a political solution after being disappointed a number of times or perhaps never engaging at all in the first place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm for however many Bernie voters showed up to caucus yesterday, there were certainly, certainly many more people that wanted to, and certainly many more people, even if they didn't want to, who would benefit a lot from Bernie Sanders policies that were excluded from the political process by their survival concerns. And that was just like a, yeah, that was just a, it was hard and fucked up, but it was also, it was also really, really special. Um, I think just to see a campaign like so 100% for people that have been excluded for so long, you know, Mm. I was thinking about this, like, uh, there's this poll that was going around a little while ago about how many Bernie voters would not vote for another candidate. And it was like, you know, a lot of liberals were getting super, super mad about this, um, which, like, you know, I'm not going to say, like, I don't get it. I mean, Trump is really horrible. Like, you know, he's yeah, obviously Trump is the worst. And I sometimes feel like liberals don't realize that leftists agree for the most part that yeah. Republicans are uniquely sadistic, you know, because mm-hmm. we post a lot about the democratic party or whatever. And it's not, it's not because we don't care that we're what Republicans are doing. It's just that we've completely given up and we think that they're disgusting. And we also think that a lot of the democratic party's actions have not been strong enough to oppose yeah. them. People were, I think very upset that Bernie voters were not, going to in some cases vote for another candidate other than Bernie and I think I just saw a lot more why that is when I was actually talking to people um a a huge reason for that is is because it's difficult to get Bernie voters to even vote for Bernie like it's kind of like what we were talking about in our episode with the Trillbillies about just like how working class disenfranchisement works and just like how how hard it is to vote how hard it is to convince people that there's any hope that politics could make their life better in any way um and also there was a lot of people that are independent like i talked to this one guy who voted for trump last time and you know i don't i know i'll probably get canceled for this but whatever but like he seemed like a very kind person and he mentioned that he thought that Trump was racist and that he didn't like it. He said that he voted for Trump because Clinton he thought was very bad. And also he has a lot of family in the military and he was pretty sure under uh, a Clinton foreign policy or even a Biden foreign policy that his family would be endangered. And, you know, Trump obviously has made some horrible uh, foreign policy mistakes, but, you know, I I do think that when Clinton was running in 2016, uh, there was definitely more of a possibility on the horizon of regime change war. And, you know, I think this guy voted to 
do what he saw as you know avoiding that and that's like a that's a powerful motivation i'm not saying i would make the same decision or that i would ever vote for trump or something i wouldn't but like not killing your own family like if that's how you're really seeing it like that is you know that's a strong motivation and i think i think when a lot of this discussion happens especially on the internet it's like you know, oh, Trump voters are these irredeemable racists and like, fuck them and we shouldn't appeal to them. And, you know, I it's I I just think I started to think, no, it, it is a little bit more complicated than that. I do think that there were some people that felt like they had two very bad choices and that Hillary Clinton was also racist. I mean, people know about mass incarceration and welfare cuts and you know like the many 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 policies under uh the bill clinton administration that you know hurt a lot of people of color you know so it just i don't think yeah again there's no i'm not justifying a vote for trump in any way but i just i think that uh i think that the people who want to write off all trump voters as irredeemable and like not motivated by anything other than racism, I think that's a mistake. No, I, I agree with you. And I think it's also, in, and I haven't, I hadn't thought about this, but someone brought this up not too long ago um, that we have never elected a former secretary of state to then become president. And I think that that's with good reason. I think when you are secretary of state, that's exactly like you're gonna every secretary of state basically can be credibly accused of being a war criminal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I mean, John Kerry like, was the best one, but I mean, best <laughs> Obama secretary of state, but yes, absolutely. You know? Um, but yeah. So it's a very emotional thing. You know, everyone it's very charged right now. And we still don't know a lot, um, but we do know that with 0% of precincts reporting last night, Mayor Pete declared himself the victor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, we should have saved the snake emoji for him. It was so, so stupid to waste it on Elizabeth Warren. Um, but it was, oh gosh, he is such... He's such a robot. He just is. I understand that all of the candidates have their own tallies. They have their own numbers going. Um, because each of them have people at each of the caucus sites to report back numbers. So they all have their like own internal data that they're collecting. But yeah, I do think that it's, you know, if Marianne Williamson calls you out for... <laughs> for doing something it's it's already past the point of no return i think it was i I think it was like this weird underhanded political maneuver to just like 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 a dewey defeats truman situation like i i don't know i i i can't imagine what his rationale was if any for saying it seems like a good time now to say that I won. (laughs) 
Well, I think that, I mean, Iowa was his only hope, you know, like he's put most of his campaign resources in Iowa. Um, yeah, he has like 400 th- offices there or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, and also I think, you know, there's a lot of other powerful Democrats who have put resources into Pete's campaign in Iowa. Like, even if Pete is not a viable candidate after New Hampshire because of his 0% popularity with black voters, although I did meet some black voters for Pete in Iowa, which was crazy. I was like, oh, my God, not to be uh, stereotyping or anything like that, but I was like, all right, well, you know, it's not, uh, it might be 0%, but that doesn't mean no one. Um, (laughs) So, uh, you know, I think, I think that there are powerful Democrats that hoped that like, you know, even if Pete is not viable, that he, him winning Iowa and or New Hampshire um, can, could be a boon to, Biden, um, because, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, if Bernie, like, clearly wins Iowa, New Hampshire, you know, he can knock out Biden, right? Like, uh, I mean, ostensibly, like, that's, you know, one outcome that could have is that people stop seeing Biden as electable. And Bernie is actually the second choice for a lot of Biden voters, like even in the South, like Bernie's their number two, which seems so crazy, because they're so different from a policy perspective. But again, like people don't vote based on policy. So, you know, I think, with Pete, I mean, it's like he did that because he has nothing to lose. Like it doesn't, you know, if he's if he didn't get this uh, win in Iowa, like he's, you know, he's he's done pretty soon. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. He sucks. Um, Pete is just he's just uh, he's such a little snitch. Suck up. I mean, he's just like th- there's like a very there's a very, very, very specific kind of hatred I think our generation has for Pete um, yeah. beca- because he's just like he's the friend that uh, your parents like, but is like yes. just, yeah, is just so I don't know. He's just such an odious little suck up. Yeah, I mean, his the connections that he has accrued in a very short career are uh for the record books bad um i the only good thing that i've i've seen uh in that that same article for the intercept said that the nevada uh state democratic party will not be using shadow uh as they had planned to uh for their caucus so it's like peter pan they're separated from their shadow <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah. Um, so RIP shadow gone, but not forgotten. Um, some, uh, yeah, you know, it it can feel so uh, sort of depressing and it can, and it's really easy to get into a space of like pessimism or nihilism. And uh, I just try to, I think we we have to just plow on because Bernie, like, it's clear that Bernie got such a considerable portion of the vote 
in Iowa. I imagine he will only do better in New Hampshire. Um, and all the candidates are already in New Hampshire right now. Um, onward and upward. Uh, it's, as Kate was saying, uh, it, it is a really incredible experience to, uh, to canvas, to knock doors for candidates you believe in. I haven't done any on the, uh, on the federal level, but I've, um, canvassed for a lot of different candidates who run, who run, uh, I've canvassed for a lot of different candidates who have run campaigns here in New York City, including for um, city council, state assembly, um, state senate. Uh, currently, I'm canvassing for uh, currently I'm canvassing for Jabari Brisport and Ferris Soufran, who, if you live in the greater New York City area, I really encourage you to check them out. They're amazing. They're running on like really robust housing platforms they're both dsa backed i love them both um and yeah it's been i mean that was definitely one of the things like all of my preconceptions were shattered about who i thought lived next to me like when i started canvassing in brooklyn like or even i did some canvassing in manhattan uh too a few years ago but like yeah, some of the, you know, you, you'd get these people who are, like, really excited to vote down ballot for, like, local socialist candidates. And then when you talk to them about, like, who they're supporting in the primary, they're like, well, we're going to need someone to beat Trump, so it's got to be Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, you're you're so right. It, I mean, it's, like, definitely, like, a good reality check. One thing that we've talked about on the show before is that, like, you, you know, phone banking canvassing like whenever you talk to a real voter uh you just realize by real voter i mean like someone who's actually uh going to vote like all this like posting it doesn't matter like people are not like it's such a limited percentage of people that are engaged with any kind of like online discourse you know like no, i'm you know nobody in iowa brought up like the joe rogan endorsement or whatever like i yeah, don't for sure nobody i don't nobody asked about that i don't know i didn't ask anyone about that i mean possible people knew or whatever but i mean it was just like so not an issue it was really just like you know i mean people asked to like who's the best on climate change um how will bernie pay for any of this stuff was a big one um, one. yeah, who, you know, can Bernie really be Trump, um, was a big one. I mean, you know, it's also like just, I understand, yeah, I understand that like people are scared because Trump is so destructive and so much of the conversations that I've had with people, um, in this vein who I think otherwise would vote for Bernie they're just so afraid that Trump is going to, they just want to win in, in November. And I completely empathize with that. And I understand, and I share that fear, but I think we, the best way to knock out the electability argument is to nominate someone who is, people are excited about and is therefore electable. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And with like a massive, massive ground game of volunteers that will yeah. make phone calls, canvas. I mean, I think 
a, a field organizer told me there were like 1,700 volunteers that came to Des Moines and from out of state, um, and not to mention tons of Iowan volunteers. But, you know, basically there were so many volunteers in Des Moines that they were just like deployed to all different parts of Iowa in cars, people canvassing. And, you know, just the specific effort of the Sanders campaign to mobilize um volunteers and also to engage people in the political process that haven't been engaged before or or haven't engaged in a long time like there's no other campaign that's really focused on that in the same way and those are the numbers that could make a difference i mean that's a big part of how obama won is like by getting a lot of young people to vote a lot of people who hadn't voted before and bernie's campaign i think is the only one that's really engaging people in quite that same way. Like there was a, an Ethiopian, like a, there was like a meat packing plant that was, had mostly Ethiopian workers and Bernie volunteers were there to talk to them after their shift at 3am. Um, there were, uh, soccer games in a heavily Latino neighborhood. Like there's just, there's been so much effort by uh, field organizers and volunteers to just engage, especially marginalized, lower income communities. And I mean, I just I think that this could be not only a path to victory, but like a really incredible path to victory because we've never I mean, not ne I don't know if never, but I mean, it's been a really, really long time since the Democratic Party was accountable to the working class in that way. And it could be it could be amazing. And another thing is, too, is like one thing that kind of that even surprised me is, you know, it's like, we, you know, we always people always talk about like Bernie bros or whatever. And it's like as much as like. I've said it's not real. Like the people that I hang out with in real life, like they are Bernie bros <laughs> they, and they're not all white, but they're bros. Um, they're yeah. like, they're like guys in their twenties and their thirties and stuff. I mean, and women too, but I just mean like whatever, like the stereotype is of like a, a bro that's like into like irony humor and um extremely online or whatever like i th that's that's my friends like i am friends yeah, with yeah. those guys but the people that i was talking to and i will like they're nothing it was nothing like that like just absolutely what <laughs> absolutely like who bernie's campaign says is voting for him you like yeah. working class multiracial um you know definitely people of all ages i would say that a lot's skewed on the younger side but but not everyone um everybody was i think pretty i don't know nobody seemed high income except for this one lady i met that was like 72 um and she was uh a hardcore socialist and had been for like years and years. And she referred to herself as a mom rad, which I thought was fucking oh my awesome. God, yes. Yeah. I, I loved her, but she was the only class trader. Everybody else was solidly working class. You know I say if you're a class trader, God bless. I, Oh, absolutely. We need, yeah. We need more of them. You know who I know is going to be a Tom Steyer is so close to being a birdie bro. I know it. Yeah, I mean, didn't Yang throw his support to Bernie, I think, on the second round? No, no, that was some of... Okay, so that was that was going around. That was just from one precinct where a bunch of Yang's 
um, voters because they weren't viable. They didn't meet the 15% threshold went to Bernie. But I also heard some other recordings where the Yang folks went over to Biden. It's a, also interestingly regarding that poll about who would vote for, uh, the democratic nominee, Yang's supporters have the highest rate. They have the highest percentage of no, that they would not vote for anyone else in the democratic primary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Yang was actually very popular in Iowa. I don't know if know. everybody who, I don't know if everybody who liked Andrew Yang was actually going to vote for him. There was a lot of crossover Yang Bernie. Um, I think, you know, there should be. I mean, there should be because Andrew Yang is tricking all of his voters, and if yeah, they, if they knew the truth, they would vote for for Bernard. Yeah, I mean, I think that. I'm I'm actually not sure that that's true about all of them. I think people really like the kind of like libertarian ethos of like, you know, we just give you a thousand dollars and then you do whatever you want with it. And like they like kind of the the fact that it could reduce government size in some ways like the things that we talk about why we don't like yang because he's going to give people ubi as like a tool to cut social programs that's actually what some of those people like about him you know like they're not democrats they're independents i don't know right, i just are, are those the people who like would actually need it the most though that's what, like I, I i understand that like people i know why people like yang i do think that a lot of his supporters the ones who flood my mentions do seem to have been tricked by him because they don't understand like his, what, what he's actually proposing, as I've said before. Yeah. But, I think like, no, I, I, I totally get you. I think the people, the Yang people I met in real life, they, they definitely were people who need a thousand dollars badly, you know? And I don't, it, it, I think Yang's campaign is more, online than many campaigns like i feel like we've said before like yang the yang gang is like what people think that bernie bros are it's like just yeah, men who totally. men who are extremely online um but there were definitely yeah there i definitely met a lot of working class people who were you know strongly considering yang and then if like yang wasn't viable that they were gonna go to bernie i even met like a tulsi person i think that there's some crossover tulsi bernie support i don't know so yeah it, but i think people are really like there were a lot of people that were really attracted to the candidates uh mostly bernie and yang but that like don't seem like uh typical democrats like that the thing that people are like well bernie's not a democrat like i don't think that people understand what a positive that is for some yeah, people yeah, yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> yeah it's like the blue no matter who people like they're 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 already voting blue no matter who they said so we should be focusing on engaging people who wouldn't vote blue normally but would for bernie sanders and it's so interesting because the, or it's not interesting, it's just stupid that the conversation, the talking points for a lot of people is like, and this is not even pundits per se, but it's just like normal, normal voters in various parts of the country. It's like we saying like, we need someone who Republicans are going to vote for. And it's like, babe, Republicans are not going to vote for us. Yeah, absolutely not. Like, not even the never Trump Republicans. Like, absolutely they're just absolutely not. And I, and honestly, 
we banked on that the last time. We banked on that in 16, thinking, oh, the never-Trump Republicans will surely not vote for him. And a big part of his win was that so many of so many Republicans came home to the party who were not expected to. Absolutely. So here's kind of, I think, our takeaway for this week. You know, we have uh, such a such an enormous task ahead of us. Um, And by that, I mean electing Bernie Sanders and also electing other Democratic socialists to office. Um, And, you know, as you were saying, like, it's it's not the votes aren't going to come from Republicans and the votes are not going to come from liberals in a lot of cases, even though like I, I feel and I think you also feel that there's a lot of convertible liberals, but like the way to reach people and engage people is not online. A lot of the folks are a, lo- a lot of like working class people. They are working a lot of the time. Yeah. They're not like sitting there on Twitter. They're like at their jobs and shit. So, you know, you, you got to go talk to people in real life uh, or at the minimum make phone calls or at the minimum, minimum send texts. I really want every single one of our listeners to sign up for some way of engaging voters because there is absolutely no way to do this without that. It's just like the the online debate stuff, like it's, it's fun, but it's a hobby. Ultimately, it has no impact on actually turning people out. The people I met, that we're actually going to caucus for Bernie. It it just like, you know, very, very uh, little of it was like Twitter based. I did meet like a couple people from Twitter. I, I met like, I met like two Bernie bros. I know from Twitter in real life, actually, that were there volunteering um, uh, a father son team. And also there's this other guy that I've interacted with that like, just happened to be canvassing in the same area of Des Moines, which was cool. So like our Twitter community is real, but it's definitely going to require everybody to, to actually engage. There's no other way to do this. I mean, it's, you know, I think it was previously unthinkable, um, you know, for certainly five years ago that like we could potentially elect you know, a democratic socialist president or any meaningful number of socialists to office. Um, and like now it's a real possibility and like it's only going to happen if you actually do the work and it's so great to actually do something. It is the cure for online brain. It is the cure for realizing how little your reply guys actually matter. It's absolutely true. And you know, all those people, all of our, our elected officials who are now like household names, like your your AOCs, Rashida Tlaib, um, even at the local level um, here in New York City, there's a, a Democratic Socialist, Julia Salazar, who's in the state Senate. It's like all of those campaigns relied on volunteers. And those campaigns, like AOC talks about it all the time that she had no money. 
Her whole, like, Joe Crowley had all the money to pay people. Everyone on AOC's campaign was a volunteer. Um, and especially if, you know, you move to a new city, like, most, like, a lot of us in, in New York are from somewhere else. It's a great way to, like, meet your neighbors, which is not something that we, we get the chance to do very often. Um, but it feels so good. It's also a lot less scary than people think it is. Um, one of my, one of my best friends, Jamie, uh, has like pretty considerable social anxiety, but she really wanted to canvas for Bernie. So she did this past week and she said that the guy who trained her was super nice and really chill. And she was like, and no one yelled at me. And I was like, yeah, usually nobody yells at you sometimes they do but you're almost always with a buddy so you can commiserate together um oh i've never canvassed with a buddy i've only canvassed by myself and i've only canvassed i've only canvassed late in the process um for campaigns like like close to when the vote was so it's like not i wasn't doing a ton of persuasion some but a lot of the canvassing I've done has been like get out the vote canvassing and, yeah. you know, and that, you know, at this point, at this point in, in many states, like certainly in New Hampshire this weekend. Um, but, you know, but like, you know, I, I think we have a lot of listeners in California. Um, you know, a lot of the time, a lot of the houses that you would be going to at this point are people who are already identified as having an interest in Bernie Sanders, like him, you know, he's either a choice one or two. Um, so, you know, I, you're not really going to have to worry about people like slamming the door in your face that much. And, you know, it's like if a lot of people aren't home, you know, if the person doesn't want to yeah. talk to you, you just move the fuck on. It's it's really great. And it's definitely I think it's, it's a good way to stay sane. And I also think it's like a good way to like learn to have conversations with people about politics which is really important like the bernie bro thing online like yeah it's not real but at the same time like uh since this is just you know you're probably we'll we'll secretly say uh that yeah a lot of people have had bad interactions with bernie supporters online and you know many other candidates as well it's like it's not specific to any campaign but at at the same time like what happens on the internet is not persuasive. I don't think to anybody. And, and it's a good idea. I think if you are someone who really cares about building a better world to have persuasive conversations as a tool in your toolbox for when you do actually want to convince someone and not just like own them and make fun of them, which is also fine. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not here to be the, the civility police or whatever. I hate that shit, but like, you know, it's, it's definitely good right. on, on to, the podcast. To, that's my role. I'm the yeah. civility police. Yeah. It's definitely good to like actually understand how to ask somebody what's important to them and talk to people about issues that would benefit their lives and you know if you are a bernie supporter and you're listening to this podcast or there's other local socialist candidates that you're supporting like you know a lot about stuff you can answer the questions that people ask you you you're good at talking about things you're really passionate about it like 
you understand what a Bernie presidency could potentially do for your life. And I guarantee you that you're going to be good at conveying it. No, even if you're shy, you know, I mean, I, I definitely like, like I met people who didn't support Bernie and that's fine, but it was, it's still really nice to like talk to people and people, you know, they, they respect that you're volunteering and that you care about something and it's nice. I agree. Yeah, no, totally. And I really can't underscore enough that most people are not home if you're afraid of, if you're really afraid of camp. Most people are not home, but you do get to have, I mean, the people who are and the people who are receptive, it is, it's, it's, they're really rewarding conversations. And as Kate said, it's important to learn how to talk about these issues in like a persuasive and level-headed way. And I would say the same thing for phone banking. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we have a lot of, you know, I'm sure like Kate and I are comedians. We are very comfortable talking to people. Um, but um, if you're not, I would just I would just encourage you to try, because I think if you do, you'll see how not scary it is. Yeah. I mean, in the phone banking, too, they give you like a straight up script. And yeah, a lot absolutely. of the time, a lot of the time you are just informing people uh, where their polling places, um, making a plan with them for how they're going to get there. I mean, it's like, it's all just laid out in front of you. It's not scary. The scripts that they give you are tested. Don't go off script. Um, it's not, you know, what they have you say is like very well thought out and it works. And, you know, you can make calls for a short period of time um and that's something that you can do from your house or if you're really really anxious about talking to people you can send texts i don't know how to do that because i actually haven't texted yet but um it's really easy to sign up we'll put some links for how to do that in our show notes this week um but yeah i you know i would just encourage you to actually take an action this week Uh, it's really important and I hope that if Iowa has shown us anything, it's that this is possible, but it's going to be hard and it's going to really, really require all hands on deck. Absolutely. So um, I think that's a perfect place to stop onward and upward to New Hampshire. Um, We, yeah, we love you all for the work that you're doing. Um, We, you know, what a, what an amazing group of beautiful and committed and inspiring people you all are. And, and also, thank you so much to everyone who came to our live show. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we had so much fun meeting you, and we hope to do another one in the future. But, um, yeah, and thank you so much to our guests, uh, Katie Halpert and Mohanad Al-Shiki. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we, uh, we loved doing it. I was actually at... Um, after a DSA meeting last night, I went to a bar to watch that also doubled as a fundraiser for some DSA candidates. And a few people were like, oh, I came to your live show. Amazing. And yeah. We love to see it. We uh, love to see it. So thank you. Thank you all so much. Um, and thank you for listening. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think I think that's it for this week. But You're the best. Uh, you know. We, st- <laughs> we, we love stand, you. We stand you. We stand you. All right. Um, we'll see you next week. See ya. 
Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, which is O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can also find our Reply Guys. They are always with us. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's, and I'm at OJuliaTweets, O H. Julia tweets and Twitter is where you can also find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.